Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Today, we're going to be back in the uh, Gospel of Mark, and uh, we've been periodically kind of moving through Mark, um, maybe like once a month, twice a month, and just uh, working through this Gospel to see more about Jesus uh, and his teaching, what's revealed to us. And the last place that we got was Mark chapter 4, uh, and we're ready for verse 26. So just to set the stage for what's going on here, uh, it's been a while since we've been in, in Mark. At the beginning of Mark chapter four, Mark really starts diving into more of the regular kind of teaching that Jesus did. Um, and he starts with the, I think, really well-known, almost kind of introductory level parable, which was Jesus's primary way of teaching. Uh, and so Jesus taught this parable about the sower and the seed, and he went out to sow the seed on different soils. And the different soils represented different people receiving the word of God and their hearts. And really what the, that story boils down to is how people need to listen and receive God's word. And that really kind of uh, acts as a foundation for all of Jesus's teachings. Um, for everything that, that he presents to people, it really boils down to how they receive it uh, and how they choose to receive it. Uh, and so his first two kind of big stories or object lessons that he uses is this, this parable of the farmer and the seed. And then he talks about the lamp and you don't hide a lamp under a basket, just like you shouldn't hide Jesus's teachings under a basket or deep down in your life, but they should affect you and illuminate and all those sorts of things. He's going to continue teaching with these different object lesson type of things and uh, parables, but he's going to kind of shift direction and start talking more about what the kingdom of God is. So that's where verse 26 starts. Do one of you guys want to read that first parable? Yeah, I can read that. Uh, Mark chapter four, starting in verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. All right. So the first kind of phrase, the first thing that Jesus says here is the kingdom of God is like this. Um, and he'll do that in the next parable as well. It's kind of different wording, but the same kind of point. You know, what, what can you compare the kingdom of God? to or, or how are we going to illustrate the kingdom of God. So the purpose of him telling this story is to illustrate something about the kingdom of God. So what what is he illustrating? What's he what's he trying to show about God's kingdom? Well I think my favorite line in this parable is how it just says he knows not how. Um, I don't know if that's the most important line in the parable or not, but that's the one that always gets my attention. And it strikes me that there's some aspect of the kingdom about how uh, we're all so, the, the, the parable of the sower is really clear. You need to sow and you need to hear and you need to respond. But there's some aspect about how this is, a, this is um, somewhat out of our control. Um, it, it's not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom. And I think that that's, that's an interesting idea in this parable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a consistent idea also with some of the things that Paul will say later on. Um, this parable reminds me a lot of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he points out, uh, using again a farming metaphor, uh, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, God gave the growth. Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't Paul 
making things grow. It wasn't Apollos making things grow, but God was making them grow. And how exactly that happened, um, you know, that it's not Paul's business, it's not Apollos' business. It's God to work in people's lives and to change them. I think that's definitely one kind of aspect of this. Um, uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this parable? Well, it, there's the idea, you know, mentioned a lot, you know, God gives the increase. Uh, Paul, in his work at Corinth, you know, he, he plants, Apollos waters, God gives the increase. Um, the, the power is not us. The, the power is in the blood of Christ. And then there's power in the message of the word. Uh, and we can try to bring it forth powerfully, but the, the power is there. Uh, and it can do amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, and if we get tempted to change it, to tamper it, to modify it, to make it more powerful, that's really foolish. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I, I really like verse 28. Verse 28, uh, I don't know, it seems kind of a little bit redundant at first. Um, so, it, you know, the earth produces first the blade, then the ear, than the full grain in the ear. Um, and it's like, I don't know, if, if you're listening to Jesus, you'd be like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's how crops grow. Like, yeah, you know, obviously it doesn't start with the full grain and then go to the, just the single blade. Yeah, that's the process, of course. But that's the process also of how God's kingdom grows both uh, on a grand scale and individually. Um, it, it starts small, but becomes really big, but also individually in our lives, there's this growth process that happens kind of starting out as, as infants in God's word, but growing into mature manhood is another kind of picture uh, that's used often in scripture, this idea of kind of adding to and, and building ourselves. Um, and, and that's just another aspect that Jesus brings up here. I, I think that's important because as people are coming into the kingdom of God, um, there are, uh, you know, brand new babies sometimes um, that need a little bit more patience, a little bit more care, a little bit more concern, and being able to kind of see what position or what level different people are at is really helpful in meeting the different needs of people and helping to teach and, and bring people to maturity. And it's just a simple point that Jesus makes that that's how, you know, farming works. That's also how you know, being fishers of men and bringing people into God's kingdom works as well, helping them kind of grow through that process. Um, cool. Go ahead, Scott. I want to throw a word in here about pruning. Um, I'm not much regarded. I've not done much pruning in my, I've done some trimming, but just, you know, pruning. And I'm looking at some fern plants over here to my right. And one of them is looking pretty bad. I bought it newer this year, but it didn't always get watered on time. Sometimes it was up in a position where it didn't get water. It's looking pretty sickly. But there's one over here that looks fresh and lush and green. And it's one from a few years ago, and it was really looking bad a while back. And I pruned it. So it had a bunch of like dead little, you know, things going up and just Here's some kind of icky green, but then just a lot of dead. And one day I just went and I just cut out that stuff. And it's amazing what's happened 
sins. Now, for those of you that prune things, you know how that works. But Jesus talks about in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll bear fruit, I'll prune you, and you'll bear more fruit. But if you won't bear fruit, what do you say he's going to do with that branch? He's going to cut it off, throw it away. Yeah. And you remember in Hebrews where it says the land that receives God's rain and some of that land bears fruit, but some of it just bears horns and thistles and that deserves to be burned. So God gives the increase, but we as plants, we need to, what does James one say? Receive with meekness. Mm -hmm implanted word mm -hmm. and we need to let god's word help us prune some things out of our lives those little dead branches on that fern see down here at the is nutrients are coming up you know water and nutrients are going up all those dead ends where it's not going to be productive of anything else and that meant less for what should have been the priority the good ones mm -hmm. When those dead branches were removed, it let the water and the nutrients feed up there. And in our lives, sometimes there's just some things that need to be pruned out so that better things will grow. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so he continues on with another parable, still in kind of the, the farming type of environment, or farming type of uh, metaphor, um, but a slightly different point, I think, in verse 30. Uh, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all of the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is grown, uh, sorry, yet when it is sown, it grows up to and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. All right. So um, what about this parable, the, the mustard seed? What's, what do you guys see in here? What's, what are some of the big ideas or points Jesus is making? I think the last line is probably one of the main points to me. Um, because of um, to the, the, it goes from it's the small seed and it grows up to being something large, but it really seems to have this emphasis on uh, not just that God is going to plant something small that's going to get big. Uh, he says that in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways, um, and that that shows up in a number of times in scriptures and in prophecies. But the point here is that, that God is establishing something that is large and is going to supply and take care of uh, of others and, and take care of needs. And that reminds me of what you were saying a little bit earlier, Scott, about how it's strong enough, it's it's powerful enough. We were talking about the previous parable. Um, the, uh, it, the the grain is going to grow and it's going to be good enough on its own. We don't need to 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 change its growth or to, to genetically modify the seed to get it to grow the way that we think is stronger. Um, this small seed is going to grow into something that is way bigger than we could imagine, and it will provide 
the support that the world needs. And we don't have to change it and we don't have to modify the tree and we don't have to modify the seed and we don't have to modify any of these things. It's going to grow bigger than we could uh, than we could ever make a, anything be. And it, I don't know, it reminds me, it, it puts me in my own place. Uh, I need to be a servant of the kingdom and not try to make the kingdom a servant of me. Yeah, I think that idea definitely goes back to some of the earlier prophecies, too. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of Daniel, too, when Daniel is interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And that's essentially what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar God is going to do. He, he, there's going to be all these kingdoms that come before, but God's kingdom is going to be established and it's going to be this huge mountain that fills the earth. It's this you know, small rock that turns into this massive uh, exactly. thing um, that's, that's more than capable of holding itself up and providing for its inhabitants and all those kinds of things. Exactly. Um, yeah. Scott, you're yeah. So this is a passage that helps illustrate just the importance of little things. Uh, throughout the Bible, uh, there's, there's lots of times when, you know, what, uh, Samuel, when he's looking at the sons of Jesse, you know, oh, this fellow looks impressive. Uh, but no, that's, that's, God doesn't look at things the same way man does. The, the, the widow woman with the two little coins, Jesus notices that instead of the rich people throwing in their excess bags of money. Um, the, the, David with his stones, you know, takes out Goliath. And Jesus said, he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. I think sometimes we make a mistake of wanting to do something big. You can do big things just by consistently doing little things. Yeah. And you, you can come up with some grand evangelistic plan. We're going to do this great effort. And you know, it, it leads to a lot of contacts and conversions. Wonderful. But it, it, it may not. But if you talk to people who come to Christ and find out sometimes some of the things that moved them or caught their attention, sometimes it was little bitty things. Mm -hmm. You know, I noticed, um, I, I've got a friend who was talking about going in a, a store with some Christians and there was some, something pornographic. And when the person got there, he just moved it so it wasn't visible for the guy behind him and just, just moved on. And he, that really impressed the non-Christian that was with them, that they, that they cared. And just a tiny little thing, but that made impression. Think how many times some little thing yeah. made an impression. And one other comment on that, this works in other aspects of life too. You know, if, if, if I need to lose 200 pounds and I decide, you know, I'm going to take this expensive pill that's going to burn off the fat overnight. Somebody's going to make a lot of profit, but I'm not going to lose 200 pounds. <laughs> but if you make little decisions each day about what you eat and about getting up and exercising, it makes a little bit of difference each day. And I want to share this image here. I saw this recently and it's pretty powerful. See this, it says the importance of the power of small steps. And you see the two guys trying to climb the ladder. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really powerful idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I'll point out with this parable and, um, and some of the other gospels, this parable is, is kind of lumped in with another really similar parable of the woman who adds leaven into her flour until it finally permeates all of the, all of the flour and makes it grow um, into like a baking type of idea that's in there. Um, the, the other kind of aspect of this parable, I think, is, again, an individual type of thing, um, which is what, you know, Scott was kind of hitting on at the end. Um, but I want to make kind of a slightly different point. One of the ideas of this parable and of the parable of the woman that puts leaven into her flour is that the purpose of that small thing is to create this large thing and to grow and spread through all of it. Um, and so individually, if we approach the kingdom of God, like, you know what, I'd kind of like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I'd also kind of like to do some other things as well and have maybe kind of dual citizenship and, uh, you know, get some of the benefits of the kingdom of God, but also some of the benefits of the kingdom of the world and kind of split my, my focus. Um, the idea of this parable is it's all kind of, it's all encompassing God's kingdom. It, it covers every aspect and it should cover every aspect of our life. And it's not good enough to just, you know, have, well, on Sunday, I go to the kingdom of God. <laughs> um, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, Friday, Saturday, I'm, I'm in my own kingdom. <laughs> I do what I want to do. It, it needs to cover all of our lives. Um, yeah. You know, what, when we go to work, when we go to school, in our conversations when we're at the grocery store and that gets to some of those little things like what scott was pointing out just in our day-to-day -day life god's kingdom is affecting how our lives are lived um and that will attract people into his kingdom um mm -hmm. as well so all right anything else that you guys want to point out on any of those parables? Go ahead, scott just a uh, highlighting what you just said there you put your finger down at random through the new testament and look for instructions exhortations commandments what percentage of them are about the things that we do collectively uh, at church? Not a very big percentage. Very low. Uh, but, you know, how many of them have to do with our attitudes, our morals, how we speak, how we think, how we behave, how yeah. we behave as husbands, fathers, children, parents, citizens? Uh, yeah all uh, employees, employers, et cetera, et cetera, has a lot to, because we can't put Jesus in a little Jesus box for Sunday. Mm -hmm. He's got to be our Lord all the time, overall, right. all facets of our life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then the last note, what I read there in verse 33 and 34, just kind of gives a brief summary statement. Um, as far as I remember, I don't think there are very many more parables in Mark. There might be a few more that show up um, kind of later on, but this is kind of the heavy parable section in Mark. Um, but Mark goes on to say, Jesus did a lot of this kind of teaching. Um, he taught a lot with stories and word pictures and images to illustrate different things about God's kingdom, uh, about the citizens of God, God's kingdom. And we might see a few more of those as we keep going through the Gospels. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, the next story, we're moving away from the parables and uh, Mark 4. And in verse 35, there's this new thing, um, new, really spectacular, amazing thing that Jesus is capable of doing. 
So, uh, so I'll read this section. Verse 35 says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And the wind ceased. Oh, sorry. And he awoke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right. This is a really amazing story. There's a lot of favorite things that I have in this story. What, what do you guys want to point out in this story, what Jesus does here? That I felt like we should be singing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, words, I was just thinking about the song. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's a great reaction. That's a great reaction because because there's a lot of a lot of songs, a lot of ways that we react to the that that's what's so neat about so many of these simple little stories. There's so many reactions that we have to them, and song is one of them. I think that that's great. What one of my favorite parts is uh, one word that's used to describe the beginning of the of the miracle a beginning of the story and at the end of the story um it says that uh, da, 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 da. wait a minute wait doesn't it open up with a great storm uh, it just talks about a windstorm oh, it just says windstorm yeah. maybe in it's verse, in in verse 37 in verse 39, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And I yeah, thought and I just read it in here in this time. And I might be remembering Matthew, one, one of the other accounts, but it but it uses that word great, that the storm was great and then the calm was great. And definitely here in Mark, the calm is great. And I think what's really significant there is it's one thing for uh, the storm to die down and that pounding rain to stop. I mean, if, if, a lot of places in the country have had a lot of serious rains. And if the pounding rain stops uh, and you go outside, it's pretty impressive. But there's still that lingering uh, rain or the wind. There's always something going on. But to imagine a great calm is uh, to just really emphasize the extremes of the miracle. And uh, there were very few times, I used to live up in Duluth, Minnesota. There were few times in Minnesota where Lake Superior was still. But Lake, it's, it's tremendous. It's huge. Um, uh, it, it'd be cold enough to freeze in the winter, but the wind will keep it from freezing. The wind keeps breaking up that ice. Uh, but there was a one time in particular that I remember that it was it was absolutely calm. There were no waves on this uh, on this tremendously huge lake, and that's what I always think about: how abnormally calm it probably was that Jesus made this moment. And I, I think that that's a neat way of looking at the the strength of his power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I really like in verse 38, um, and just kind of one, of one of the key parts of this story is they're, they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and there's this massive storm that comes through, and their boat's starting to sink, they're taking on water, everyone's really afraid for their life, and Jesus is asleep, <laughs> and um, I don't know, maybe we can talk about that in, in a minute, but the, the response of the people, of the disciples, when they get to Jesus, they say, don't you care <laughs> that, we're, that we're perishing? Um, 
I think that's a really powerful question. Um, and some, some that maybe a lot of us could relate to in moments of our life where it feels like we're about to drown. Um, you know, it's like, this is just so much that's being thrown on me right now. The situation that I'm in is really tumultuous. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. God, don't you care? <laughs> um, yeah. where, where are you at? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I need help. Um, and that's kind of what the disciples are doing here. Jesus, where are you at? Like, like don't you care about us? <laughs> don't, don't you care about the whole situation of what's going on here? Um, one of my favorite um, pictures of illustrating God's care for us and care for his people is in Psalm 58. Uh, it's a Psalm of David, where uh, David is kind of recounting some of the things in his life that have just been really hard, enemies that have been oppressing him and all those sorts of things. Um, and he says about midway through the Psalm, um, you keep count of my tears. Um, you put them in your bottle. Are they not in your book? <laughs> um, and the idea of that, it's a really poetic way of saying God is aware of every single tear that David has, has shed. Um, he's written it down. He knows about it. He knows the situation that David's in and he's still there with him. And that's just a really comforting picture to have that, you know, it might seem like God is not doing anything or in this situation that Jesus is not doing anything or doesn't care to do anything, but he's right there and he's aware of the needs and he's more than capable, like what Dan brought up to answer the needs mm -hmm. um, that are there and bring this great calm along with it. But I think that that's a really astounding question to ask and one that I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, but the, the response that Jesus has Yes, he cares. Um, and there's another song for you, Scott. You know, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. Um, you know, after this moment, I don't know if they would have had any questions um, like that, but, but we can feel that way sometimes right in the moment. It doesn't feel like God cares about me right now, but it, he absolutely does, um, even in the middle of the storm, and he's capable of bringing us out of the storm into the great calm. Um, anything else you guys want to point out? in this story you're talking about? Let's mention briefly uh, the similarities between Jonah and Jesus. So Jesus drew that over in Matthew 12, for he says, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. He was in the belly of the fish or whale, and Jesus would be in the earth and come forth. Uh, at the end of Luke, Jesus goes through the scriptures and shows him that the Messiah must suffer Imagine he used Isaiah 53 and die. Again, Isaiah 53, there's also suffering in Psalm 22, etc. And be raised on the third day in repentance of sin, be preached at Jerusalem. Well, Isaiah 2, Micah 2, things about Jerusalem. But um, that raised on the third day, I think, relates to Jonah. When you, when you stop and think about it, Jonah is the most effective least appropriate prophet he's <laughs> like he's not a good guy yeah but people respond much yeah. jonah's chagrin um but in this poor character of jonah we've got some types that are obviously being echoed here so what are some similarities between jonah and jesus that we see in this story Well, Jesus was in the, the belly, just kind of their location. Jesus was in the belly of the boat, um, and uh, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And wasn't Jonah asleep as well? 
Jonah was asleep. The guys have to wake Jonah up. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, there's a great storm. Everybody's scared except Jonah, who's snoring away. And uh, here, there's a great storm. Everybody's scared. They wake up Jesus. And then what does Jonah do? It says, throw me overboard, and the sea will become calm to you. Mm-hmm. So he, for all his faults, at least there, he was willing to sacrifice himself to save others. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't jump over. He lets himself be thrown over mm-hmm. and, and in effect he calms the sea jesus calms the sea and then he's in the belly of the fish uh comes out three days later jesus in the belly of the earth comes out three days later yeah and and they're both alike to the gentiles yeah yeah just one had a lot better attitude about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, one other thing in this story, verse 41, um, their, their response to what Jesus does is um, amazement. Um, they're, they're filled with fear. They're amazed. And they say, who is this um, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Um, they made a, a similar statement. The crowds made a similar statement about Jesus in Mark chapter one. They said, who is this that even the evil spirits, the demons <laughs> obey him, listen to him. Um, so they're recognizing Jesus's authority, but here his authority is over the wind and the sea, the, the creation. Um, and I think that that can go back, that takes me back in the Old Testament to two different places. One, just back to Genesis chapter one, um, the, the creator of the wind and the sea, um, you know, Jesus is, is capable of controlling those things. He owns them um, kind of thing. But also there's an interesting connection with the wind and the sea to the Exodus. In uh, Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites are escaping from captivity and God is delivering them, he uses wind and sea to deliver them, which is really, I don't know if the apostles had this in mind, but that's an interesting kind of thought and connection to Jesus. When they're at the Red Sea, the, the instructions to Moses are stick your staff out over the sea. And when he does that, this strong wind comes through and pushes the sea apart. And then it ceases and comes back and destroys the Egyptians. Um, I don't know if that was in their mind when they said that, but the one of the last times that the wind and the sea were submitted to someone's authority um it was god delivering his people um and here we are again god in the flesh come to deliver his people um and he has authority over the wind and the sea maybe that's you know a stretch but i think interesting thought at least it's a neat connection all right uh anything else you guys want to talk about in chapter four all right um so there's this next story this is kind of a in chapter five um a longer story uh i'll just go ahead and read uh all of it it's the first um 20 verses uh and then we can come back and make some points so it says then he came to the other side of the sea to the country of the garrisons and when jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit and he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but had wrenched the chains apart 
and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And, he, and for he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, and let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbered, numbering about 2,000, and rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, uh, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. All right. Um, longer kind of story. What are some of the things that you guys want to talk about or bring up in this story? The, I, there's a contrast to the previous story. Um, the, the similarity is that uh, Jesus has the power to control something that is absolutely uncontrollable. Uh, but in the previous story, everything is on the outside. Everything is... Um, uh, the problems are outside of me, and they're coming and attacking at me, and they're out of my control, but Jesus can get the whole environment under his control. And in this story, the problem is me, or the problem is inside of me. Now, this man had a demon, and, and I don't have demons inside of me, but uh, we, we use that phrase when we're talking about our own inner demons and our own problems. Uh, so sometimes the world is coming at me, and Jesus has the strength <coughs> and the power to um, arrest control of that. Sometimes I have the problems inside of me and they are out of control and I don't know how to gain control of them. Jesus still has that power to gain control of the things inside of us and help us to live with control. Yeah, and just the, the, the situation that this guy is in is like, wow, um, I assume uh, because, you know, he, he's, he's possessed by an unclean spirit, by a demon, um, but then you find out he's possessed by many unclean spirits and demons mm -hmm. and then you maybe find out like how many i don't know if if that's the point of uh of um where it says in uh verse 13 uh that the herd numbered about 2000 mm -hmm. i don't know if that meant that there were 2000 demons <laughs> um maybe not i don't know um but yeah. this guy had a serious problem <laughs> um but jesus was able to kind of uh, comfort him and again you have that comparison that you made in the, in the last story with the, the wind and the sea uh, and the storm there was a great storm and then a great calm here's a great problem that this guy is facing uh, a great enslavement to all these demons mm -hmm. but then when the people come to him afterwards they find him clothed and in his right mind yeah. um it is a, again a great calm because this guy was just like he was crazy he was going around screaming cutting himself breaking chains, 
mm-hmm. then the next time that they see him, he's just sitting there at Jesus's feet, calm. <laughs> um, so there's this, this internal turmoil that Jesus takes care of and calms the man, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also interesting contrast in the gospel of Mark, particularly up till now, Jesus will do a miracle and he'll often say what? Don't tell anyone. And this time he says, go tell everybody. Uh, and I think that may relate to early in Mark, it talked about, you know, sometimes it was like, it's crowded. They don't have time. They don't have time to eat. They're, they're just, if, if you go around giving free help, not just free healthcare, but free miracles, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be booked up just with, you know, mm-hmm. everybody's ants alone, you know, <laughs> with all their ailments lined up. Um, and Jesus, he wants the evidence to be there that he can do these signs. But if everybody's just talking about that, that's going to overtake it. He's got more important things to do. Yeah. Uh, that's among the Jewish people in Galilee. He's, where he's at now is a highly Gentile area over here in Decapolis. Uh, you'll notice the farmers, they're, they got 2,000 pigs. That's not profitable, you know, uh, line of work to be in in a Jewish community. Uh, <laughs> Jesus isn't going to be staying there. He's leaving. It's not going to hurt anything. It's going to help things for him to get the word out. All mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just make a, a small point off of that. I agree with what you said. I used to think that um, that it was because Jesus would never come back here. And so like he leaves the guy there. Uh, and I'd made the statement before, like, yeah, Jesus came here once uh, and then had to leave and he never came back. So he needed to leave the guy there so he could teach people. Um, but actually, I was proven wrong. Um, later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes back to the region of the Decapolis in Mark chapter seven. So if you ever find yourself making that point. I think everything you said, Scott, is right. Um, but he does revisit this Gentile area and actually goes up to uh, Northwest Gentile area as well into Tyre and Sidon Yeah, yeah. Uh, as well. 30, 31 through yes. the, of the borders of Decapolis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And another aspect of it is, and uh, is that Jesus refuses a guy to come with him. And, and it, that's, that seems so out of care. Like, why would Jesus not, not let someone come with him? You take a step back and you look at the story and you look at the context, you can really see why. But I think that that's really still, that's a curious thing. Um, Jesus has work for us to do. Uh, and, you know, I have my ideas about what I want to do in my life and what God, uh, I think I know what God wants me to do in my life. Uh, but there, but here's a guy who was wanting to be with Jesus of course. I mean, someone wants to be with Jesus. That's where he needs to be. And Jesus turns him around and he sends him out to work. Uh, he might not be physically with Jesus, but my goodness, if you're going out spreading the, the good news about Jesus, you, you can't be any more with Jesus than in that sort of a situation. And this is a, a person who is going to be uniquely um, set up to preach to those people, right? He's from there. They all know who he is. 
He's the crazy guy that was living in the cemetery. He's the guy that kept breaking chains and kept hurting himself on the rocks, whether he's hurting himself on purpose, the way we talk about people who cut themselves, or the fact that he's crazy out on the rocks, he keeps getting hurt onto the rocks. He's breaking chains. Maybe he had superhuman strength because he had demons inside him. But even if you had superhuman strength, there's only so much abuse your bones can take when you're breaking chains. So this guy probably looked the part. And now he's in his right mind and now he's fully clothed and he comes to your town and he tells you about Jesus and he can point to himself as the miracle. I am the one that Jesus uh, made whole. I am the one that Jesus calmed down. I am somebody that, that Jesus helped me. Jesus can help you. I mean, he's, he's a perfect evangelist for that area. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so bringing the good news you know that that's what evangelism is it just means bringing the good news he's he's just set up for it mm -hmm. yeah. cool all right anything else you guys want to bring up or talk about in that story i love the way that the demons confess <laughs> uh, the demons know more about Jesus than the audience does. And that's just such an interesting moment that, of course, they would know. I mean, they're outside of this world the way that Jesus is outside of this world. He just happened to walk around on it. And uh, you don't, he, he silences them, he shuts them up, he removes them from the situation. But, uh, you know, we, we, we need to take the hint that, that Jesus is, is special uh, we, we need to pay attention to the signs that are around us. We need the world to pay attention to the signs that Jesus sent and sends. Uh, his word is loud and strong, and even the demons are knowing it and responding to it. Uh, the, the, this, the winds and the waves, they obey his will, and so do the demons. If, if only we would too. Yeah, and it's amazing. You get some of the response of the people. Apparently, um, it, it looks to me uh, like there were some witnesses to this healing moment and they run back into town. Uh, I don't know if they saw everything. They at least saw their pigs <laughs> running into the sea. Um, but whenever they get back, the response of those people is Jesus leave. Um, like we don't want you here. Um, which is really amazing. Um, but you think about it, like, I, I don't know everything that was going on in their mind, but trying to relate to them. Um, it, it says that they were afraid. And so they begged Jesus to leave. Um, my question is like, what were they afraid of? Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm digging too deeply into this, but I wonder if it was, we're afraid of losing more of our possessions <laughs> if Jesus stays around for longer. Um, like, you know, we, we just lost 2000 of our herd. What else is he gonna take from us kind of thing? Um, but we, we don't wanna lose our livelihood you know, kind of thing. Maybe, maybe that's not what was in their mind. I think that might've been in my mind if I was there, like, what, what am I going to do now? Um, and later on in Mark and, and also in the other gospels, Jesus will start talking about, um, the cost of following him. Um, and these people aren't willing to entertain the idea of having Jesus around if it means it's going to cost them some things. Um, and that gets back to maybe a, a point that, that Scott makes a lot of heard him say that a lot of people, when they look at Jesus, they want Jesus to be their savior, but not their Lord. Um, because savior means you get stuff. 
Lord means you lose stuff. <laughs> um, and I don't want to lose my, uh, you know, authority in my own life or the, my decision making, but I'm more than happy to take forgiveness. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's not how it works. Um, and like I said, I don't know if that's exactly what was going on in these people's minds, but it is interesting. They saw something amazing happen and they say, we don't want that. <laughs> we don't want you in our life. Please leave. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, your mic is muted. I would assume that that's either it or one of the it's because I, that's a lot of bacon to go on. Uh, you're, you're, that's a lot of value <laughs> and they don't want any more of that. They don't want any more loss. Another thing that might tie into it is this is also what Peter said when he started seeing the power of Jesus, mm -hmm. seeing some power from Jesus. But when Jesus was able to control his source of livelihood, fish under the sea, mm -hmm. he said, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Mm -hmm. Just there's something about realizing that you're before somebody with that much power. Yeah. That you care about. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right, well, um, well, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, so we got uh, through verse 20. We can pick up with verse 21 next time that we're in Mark. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today and the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about what we discussed today or anything else you'd like us to discuss on our show outside of the Gospel of Mark, uh, you can visit our website, BibleQuest.tv, and let us know your questions and your thoughts there, and we'll be happy to talk about those in our future shows. But that's all we have for this week. And so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week. We'll go.